exciting times. So I want to talk this morning about the fact that we, you know, we are launching into a, a, a new season and new opportunities. And, and last week we, we spoke about, about launching out and we talked about Jesus doing this amazing thing in the life of Peter where, you know, he, he'd been in a, a place where it was pretty exciting having Jesus come and preach out of his boat. But he, he actually said to Peter, you know, I want to take this further. I want to do something good in your life. I want you to get an understanding of who I am as God. And he, and he gave him this opportunity to, to go and fish where previously no one had been catching fish. And they had this amazing blessing where, where they caught more fish than they could ever imagine. And, you know, it would, have, it would have set them up perhaps in a financial manner where they could actually get out of their business and, and, and follow Jesus. And, and it was all about Jesus wanting to do something good for Peter. But, but they had to launch. They had to launch out into deep waters. We're in a position as a church where we're launching into new things. And I want to talk this morning about, about the platform that we stand on when we launch into something new. As, as a kid, we lived in a place called Devonport. Some of you will be familiar with that. And, and where we live, we could, um, we could actually ride our bikes up this little road um, up the Mersey River a little bit to a place called Bell's Parade. Does anybody remember Bell's Parade being there? And it was this sort of cool area um, on, the, on the Mersey River. It had sort of grass banks down either side. Uh, and this was in the days before um, WHS was such a big thing, you know, when there were cool things around that were dangerous. And um, on, on the banks of, of, of Bell's Parade on the Mersey River was this diving tower. And it was a 10-metre diving tower. And as a, as a, you know, as a, as a young teenager, you know, a 10-metre diving tower with a ladder on it on the, on the other side of the river was pretty inviting. So I think the first time ever that we got out there without our parents, we would have, we would have of course, climbed up to the top of this 10-metre diving tower and, and stood up there and, and looked at it. And, and I remember one day going out there and there were some kids that were a bit older than us and and they obviously went up to the top of the tower and they jumped off and I thought wow they're awesome imagine imagine jumping off a a 10 meter tower and and so that that planted a a seed in my mind and my thinking and and it wasn't very long before I found myself standing on the top of this 10 meter platform looking down with a whole lot of mixed feelings, um, feeling rather significant that I was standing on the top of a 10-metre tower, feeling quite sort of petrified by the fact that I was contemplating leaping off, and, and, and maybe, maybe just sort of taking in the view that was around the place. Anyway, you know what would have happened. Somehow I... There were probably people watching, and, and I, I sort of plucked up the courage and, and took this, this giant leap off this 10-metre tower. And, and away I went and, and landed in the water, and everything was okay. I, I popped up. Everything was, was all good. But after, after I did that, I've, I've done a few things like that in my life, or actually probably lots of things, you know, bungee jumping and that sort of stuff. And there was this sort of exhilaration of, of taking this leap off something um, into the water. And, and in those moments between leaping off the platform and hitting the water and sort of feeling like you're suspended in the air and flying in that was a, was a really cool thing for somebody that enjoys sort of those adrenaline parts of life. And, and ultimately, as you think about a, a platform, it was the fact that that platform was able to support me. It was able to position me. It was able to place me in a position where I could actually launch into, into these few milliseconds of exhilaration. The platform had to be strong enough to be able to climb up and, and hold people. It had numbers of platforms all, all the way up. It, it had to be obviously strategically positioned. It, it had to be next to the river. It wouldn't have been any good if that platform was sort of over in the middle of the grass somewhere. Uh, wouldn't have been great fun jumping 10 metres onto the grass. And, and it, it had to 
it had to actually be in a position where, where it would launch people into something. And obviously, they'd put it there for, for diving competitions and things that used to happen. And, and, and people obviously did much greater exploits than ever I did off that. I, I don't think I ever dived off that particular 10-metre tower. I only did, you know, this sort of what we called a pin drop <laughs> into the water, which um, didn't take a lot of skill, just a, just a, a little bit of courage. But recently, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, and this is a, a great message to, to finish this, this journey we've had of Nehemiah and, and, and look at what it takes to launch into, into the next things that are there for us. And, and the book of Nehemiah is this incredible account of a broken city, a city that had no hope, a city that had no future a city that had no security, a city that was being raided and pillaged by everybody that wanted to come past, a city that was actually under the control of thugs and strong men who were exploiting everybody that lived there. And the account of Nehemiah is somebody who gets concerned, who actually understands what's going on and says, I'm going to do something. I'm actually going to leave where I was, am, and Nehemiah was in the palace in Persia. He was in a, an incredibly safe and blessed and privileged environment. And he, and he leaves there and he, and he goes to a place of brokenness. He goes to a place of hopelessness. He goes to a place where there didn't appear to be a lot of future. He left this place of privilege and he went to a place that was broken. And, and, and in, in 40-something days, they, they rebuilt this city and, and got it into a place where it could actually be launched back into the purposes that God had intended for this city. And the project was hallmarked by unity and purpose of people from all walks of life. And what I want to talk about this morning is after they completed this amazing project, they all get together in the city square and... There was this prophet, and his name was Ezra, and he, he was quite strategic in this whole journey. He'd actually been there before Nehemiah, and I'll, I'll get to that. And, and, he, and so they all gather together, and Ezra stands up. And he stood on a, on a very large platform, and he proclaimed the truth of the word of God, and he leads the people in praise and thanksgiving to their faithful God, and celebration of his goodness. And listen to what it says in, in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 6. It says, All the people assembled, listen to what they assembled with, a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given them to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included men and women and all the children old enough to understand. And he faced the square just inside the water gate. From early in the morning until noon, he read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform, that had been made for the occasion, and it tells us that there were another 13 guys that stood there with him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands and lifting up, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow, imagine that. Imagine at Energizer Church when somebody comes up here and stands on this platform made of wood. I know it's made of wood because I helped build it. And we get the, we get the word of God out. And Grant's got a new Bible there. We don't, many of us don't have them now. I don't, I don't even own an actual paper Bible. But imagine when that, when, that, when that book is actually opened 
And people start to anticipate that the word of God has been opened. There is going to be truth. There is going to be revelation. There is going to be something that comes out of this that changes my life. And everybody stood up with expectation of what was going to come out of the word of God. What's your experience with the word of God? What's your experience with the the revelation that comes from God? What needs to change in us where we would go from just sort of sitting back with our arms folded or perhaps for many of us not even getting the word of God out and open? What would need to change for us to stand up and feel a sense of excitement about what is going to come? What would need to change for us to stand in unified purpose and go, wow, we're about to hear something that is going to change my life. This is a picture of a fantastic gathering. It's a celebration. It's the culmination of a season. And Ezra the priest stands on this high wooden platform that had been specifically made for the occasion. And he stood on... A platform that must have been strong because we're told that 13 other guys were there with him. It was high so that it could be seen and his voice could be heard. They didn't obviously have PA systems in those days. So if you were going to speak to a lot of people, you needed to be in a position where your voice could be projected and people could hear and receive what God was saying. Have you heard this saying? There was a guy called... Isaac Goulburn, and he wrote this. He wrote, there is a smaller world that is the stage. And there is a larger stage that is the world. And I think sometimes the problem in our, in our modern church Christian circles is we get enamored with this small stage. We get enamored with sort of what happens when we get together to gather to worship our God, and that's important. But we get enamored with what happens on here, whereas this is just a platform so that revelation and impartation and, and things like that can happen. But, you know, this is, not the, this is not the main gig. This is not the large platform. The large platform is what supports your life. The large platform is what holds us up together as a church, as a community in this city that would position us so that the purposes of God can work out through us. That, that this, this is just a small platform. And, and one of the problems that I think you know, our enemy has that he gets us so focused on who stands on that and how long we stand on it and what we get to do and all that sort of stuff. And you know, really, that's not what it's all about. It's all about the large platform that is our life, that is the world, and that's what we need to get excited about. That's where our focus actually needs to be. And and the wooden construction that the prophet stood on was obviously the small platform. The larger platform that supported his message had been built over time through the leadership of Nehemiah, Ezra, and others. And it was a platform of unity. It was a platform of prayer. It was a platform of concern. It was a platform of commitment. And it was a platform of courage. It was a platform that would launch a broken city into the purposes of God and bring it back from destruction and insignificance and reestablish security. That sounds like some testimonies I've heard in the lives of people where, where somebody's life has been broken Somebody's life has been on the edge of maybe completely disappearing altogether or, 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 or going into some sort of obscure place where, where it's almost like you can't come back from it or it can feel like that. And then they have an encounter with God and, and somehow security and purpose and structure actually comes back to a life that was previously broken. So what is it that you stand on? What is it that we stand on? And I want to ask this morning, what do you stand on as an individual? What is it that we stand on collectively as a community or as a church family? Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. 
he, he stood on, a, on a, a platform that had been specifically made from, for the occasion. And it, it was strong. So do we actually stand on something that is strong enough to support the purposes of God in our life? You see, so often we perhaps have ideas sometimes of standing on a platform like this or, or, or you know, God using us in some way. But, but is what we're standing on, you know, is it, is it we, we step into something like a, a leadership role. You step into a new role in your workplace. You step into a, into a, a, a new role in family. And you've been thinking... If only, if only that thing would happen in my world, if only I could be in that place, but is what we are standing on able to support the purpose that is, is for us in that new season? My wife, Alex, was supposed to be worship leading this morning, and she can't. She can hardly talk, let alone sing. So well done, boys. You guys did a great job. <laughs> trying, to, trying to sing songs that she'd picked in her key with her voice. Well done, guys. And welcome to everybody in the Derwent Valley. You guys are absolutely awesome up there. What, what, what an amazing thing. What an opportunity we have in the Derwent Valley. Let's, let's be expectant in the valley. Let's be expectant about the platform God has given us in the, I was going to say the city of New Norfolk, in the town of New Norfolk, I'm prophesying. Um, you know, that, that we can see God do some incredible things in, in that place. But years ago, when, when God started to do something in, in Alex and, and get her ready for, for what was in the next season, I remember she... She had a sticker that she'd put on the, on the front of her, her car. It was an old Mitsubishi Colt, I remember. And, and she'd, she'd, written, she'd written in whatever year it was, 1990-something. You know, this year, I, I want, she said, I want to discover my origin. I want to discover a greater sense of who I am so that what is inside me will support what is on me. And what she was identifying, she was at that time, she was at the Conservatorium of Music and, and, and things, were, things were opening up in all sorts of ways for her, you know, in, in worship leading all over the place and lots of things were happening. But, but for her at that time, she got an understanding that if she was going to have longevity in that calling and some of that natural talent that she had and, and even a specific anointing that was on her life that she needed to have something in her that would sustain what is on her. And so often we, we, we actually get excited about what is on us and I look around here and I see people with all sorts of talent. I see people with all sorts of anointing on their lives. I see so much unlimited potential. But, you know, the, the, the most important thing, if we're going to see, if we're going to together see God launch us into a new season as a church, if we're going to capitalize on the platform that he is giving us in Muna, we've actually got to stand on something, both individually and collectively, that will support what is actually on us so that we can actually have a long-term impact across this city and across this state and beyond. You see, we're playing, a, we're playing a long game. Often we think as Christians that we're playing the short game. I grew up in a, in a church where we preached all the time about the second coming of Jesus. Anyone being with me? And, and I'm not going to criticize that, but you know what it actually did do is that, is that I, I thought when, I got, when, when Alex and I got engaged, I thought, well, it would be good to be married. But I thought, we probably won't make it because Jesus will come back first before we get married. And I remember praying, you know, Lord, it'd be good if you come back. But, you know, we just like to get married first. Anybody, anybody else grew up in that season and prayed that? I bet you did. See a couple of hands. 
You know, and then, you know, like my, my grandfather, he, he, probably, he, he probably didn't really think that, that, that they might get through, a, you know, the, the next season of, of their kids growing up and grandkids. And, you know, and, it's, and, and the Bible tells us to live in a way that we're ready for Jesus to come back, but it also talks about kingdom. In other words, that we actually play a long game and, and we invest generationally and we invest into into our community and this world to make it a better place to, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. The problem is if sometimes our thinking as Christians can be, oh, we're playing a short game because Jesus might come back tomorrow. So what's the point of investing? Let's just make short-term decisions. Whereas we're playing a long game, we've actually got to develop and build platforms that will support us into the future beyond tomorrow, beyond your kids, into generations to come. And, and that, that is kingdom thinking rather than... Short-term thinking. It was high so that it could be heard and all the people could hear. Are, are, we, are we actually prepared to stand on something that is actually high enough so that we stand out to make a difference? There's always a risk in that, isn't there? When I was a kid and climbed up that, that tower, there was all sorts of different risks. Eventually they condemned it because it was an old construction, pulled it down. And so it was probably getting a bit rickety. First time I ever climbed up, there would have been a risk that <clears throat> my mum would have freaked out. <clears throat> when, when, you, when, you, when you put your head up, when you step into something, there's always a risk. If, if, you want, if you don't want to make a difference and you don't want sort of too many challenges in life, well, well, don't bother deciding that you're going to do something that makes a difference. Because actually when you put your head up, you do attract some attention, don't you? And the important thing is when we do that, we've actually got to stand on something that supports us through that. Come on, we, we, you know, like, like we have got, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to serve Jesus, if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to make a difference, you know what's going to happen? You're going to go through disappointment. You're going to go through discouragement. You're going to go through betrayal. Jesus did. Am I encouraging you? You're going to go through tough days. You, you, you're actually going to start something and, and not everybody's going to come with you. Jesus himself, right at the time where he is about to go to the cross. And this is written for every church pastor and every leader and perhaps every, every person that's running a team in a, comp, a um, company, uh, for every parent, right at that critical moment, he says to his three closest disciples, the people on this world that were closer to him than anyone, people he thought know the mission, understand it, that would be there with him. The people that had said, Peter had, was on record at saying, you know, I'll, I'll do anything, Jesus. I am there for you. Right in that moment, he says, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. In fact, I'm God, but I'm human. And the human side says, I don't know if I can do this. Come and stand with me and pray with me. And they just kept going to sleep. They weren't there when he needed them. And so often when we start to serve in the kingdom, we find ourselves so disillusioned because people we thought should have been there are not there. Anyone been there? Is it right that they're not there? Probably not. Is it going to happen again? Absolutely. Because we're human. We're less than perfect. But we've got to actually stand on something that sustains us beyond those things. 
We've got to have something that is bigger than whether you're standing on this platform or, or, or whether, you know, whether things are working in your life. It's your relationship with Jesus must provide you with a platform that is going to get you through whatever life throws at you, whatever happens. Are you standing on something that will support you? Ezra was in a position so that transfer could happen because he had an important message to, to be shared and imparted and he was positioned so that could happen. It was obvious that day that the Spirit of God was working and there was amazing impartation. Is what we've got the right platform that's going to work? Years ago, there was this, this old guy in Hobart and he was obviously a very passionate Christian. And, and, and I know a little bit, uh, just a wee bit about him because where I lived at the time, I used to drive past his house on the way home. And his house was just covered in placards and bits of paper and cardboard and all sorts of things. And it had, had all sorts of Bible verses and, and, and things written about perhaps that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, things like that, and, and things that were a bit condemning, that, that, that if you don't turn to Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Things like that were written all over his house. And then, as most people who've got a house, he also had a car, and his car was another level. It, it was just completely covered in stuff. And then he used to, and, and you've got to admire his courage, and then he used to be, most Saturday mornings, he'd be at Salamanca Market, and he'd be probably standing on a little box, a small platform, and he again would be proclaiming the message that, that he felt so passionate about in his heart. Now, now I've, I, I, I don't question perhaps even his motives and what he wanted to do, but what I would say is that the platform that he'd chosen to use was not effective and it wasn't working and it actually wasn't perhaps positioned in the right place so that the passion that he carried could actually make a difference. And so often what can happen in our lives is hurt and disappointment and misunderstanding can end up that our platform gets a bit skewy and it leans over and we find ourselves in a position where we've got something in our lives and we want to impart it and we want to share it, but our platform isn't positioned where it is able to do what it is intended to do and God can use us in the way he's called us to be used. It's a pretty striking difference what this guy I'm talking about used to do at Salamanca and you've probably seen other people in the, in the mall in Hobart and other places that, that share in that way. And, and, and the, Ezra the scribe who stood in this position and people responded. For those of us who stand on these small platforms every week, it's quite a challenge really. That what we share is effective. What we share is, is actually supported by stuff in our own life that means that we can be effective and we're all human and we don't get it all right. But when I walk out of here, like you, I'm on the larger stage. I'm actually standing on that larger stage, which is life. Which is where perhaps the stuff that I proclaim from here is tested to see whether it works or not, to see whether it really makes a difference. Nehemiah 8, all the people assembled with unified purpose. Something had happened. Something had gone on that was meant that this platform was able to be built. Something had happened for all the people to stand in one place with unified purpose. And, and a lot of you will remember as we started, I started this series back in Nehemiah chapter 1 and it says this, it says, In the late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress in Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, 
Things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. Have you ever been in that place? And it's like you ask somebody, how's it going? And, you know, you get that, oh, it's not going well. One of the problems that I think that we often have is that we know things are not necessarily going well, but we don't ask because we haven't got time or the emotional capacity to hear the answer. Been there? You know somebody's doing it tough, but you don't really ask in such a way that they talk to you because you haven't got time to listen. You haven't got time to process or the capacity to process what they're going to tell you. So we sort of high five, hey, awesome. Well, Nehemiah asked the question and he let it sink into his heart and it changed him. And and his brother says, they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. So a little bit of history here and I'll... And I'll move on to my points and finish this off. So he says, I was in the palace of the king. Who was the king? It was King Artaxerxes, also known as Aharis. And, and basically these titles mean great king. Artaxerxes was also known as Darius the Mede of Persia. And he's the same king you read about in the book of Daniel. And Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible were one book. We've broken them up into two. But in the Hebrew Bible, uh, they were one book because they're part of the same story. And, and the books of Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther all come out of that same period. They're all, all connected. And it's this time when Israel was in exile in Babylon, where people have been captured and, and taken to Babylon. And, and they were there for 70 years. And about halfway through this period... The, the king sort of mucks his personal relationships up a bit and he has a beauty contest to find a, 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 new, a new queen because his, his other queen rejected him and, and, and he, he says, all right, I'll, I'll just find a younger, prettier one. So they have this beauty contest and a lot of you will know that, that this, this amazing young girl, and she's a Hebrew girl, is chosen and her name is, is Esther. And, and, and she finds herself brought from, from being a, a Hebrew captive and landed right in the middle of the known world at the time, right at the seat of power. There she is uh, as the queen. And, and she uses the opportunity that she has and takes an incredible risk, because she could have lost her life, to actually talk to the king uh, about the way her people were being treated, about the fact that, that, that they were... They were being abused and, and, and they, were, they were being majorly mistreated. And it actually changes not only the specific things that she was talking about, but it changes the heart of this king and, and perhaps the next king towards the, the people of Israel. And in the Bible, these books here in this order, if you, if you went to Sunday school, you might have learnt the books of the Bible, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, but Ezra, Nehemiah, but, but the chronological order is actually different. It's actually, it actually goes this way. It goes Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. Why in the Bible are they turned around from the way that they actually happened? Why, why, would, they, why would they be actually turned around the opposite way? I think there's a, a reason for that because, see, Esther... Esther means, her name meant instrument of God's grace and she becomes queen and she's able to use her influence to save people. Nehemiah is the account of a man who courageously rebuilds a city and Ezra is all about the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So they appear in our Bible in reverse order. Why? Because they teach us the order that God actually does things. So the book of Ezra starts with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. The restoration of the house of God 
is always the first way back to God. And if you want a platform that is going to support your life, first of all, we're told in the Bible that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our house, if you like, our temple, our own relationship with him needs to be restored before anything else happens. That's the first thing that actually needs to happen. And Nehemiah is all about the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. It's about filling that need for security and strength. If you are on a journey and you have not yet come to Jesus, maybe you've heard about him, maybe you've been around people that talk about him and follow him, you know, the the first thing that we've got to do is go, actually, I I need him in my life. I I, I want my own personal relationship, my journey with with the God of the universe to be right and to be rebuilt. And, And there's an amazing thing that happens there. There's this grace. In other words, God meets you where you're at and, he, and he, he meets you in spite of yourself, in spite of things that have happened to you and you've done and he's not worried about that. He just wants to meet you where you are and that's called grace. And then the next thing that happens is he just starts to rebuild your life, brick by brick, bit by bit. And he actually puts the brokenness together. You see... So many people, I can look at people here this morning and I can see and I know testimonies of how broken people were when they came to Jesus. And and, and I've walked the journey as he's put lives and people back together, piece by piece, brick by brick. And then the, the book of Esther is all about revelation and purpose of the life of an individual. See, the really cool thing is, is once, once you meet God and, and his grace is extended to your life and that relationship with him has been restored and then he starts to put your life back together, the next thing that happens is you start to find purpose. And he actually starts to use you for something that is greater than yourself, something that is bigger than you could have ever imagined. That's why it's in that order. All right. Hey, my screen's gone from up there. What's the time, Lizzie? All right, cool. All right, have, a, have a, a platform that will support you. First of all, number one, we actually need God's house to be restored because you're the, the temple of God. Secondly, God's going to rebuild your life brick by brick. And, and thirdly, we've got to have a revelation of purpose. Um, so to build a secure, strong platform that's positioned, that will enable your life to make a difference, I think number one, You've got to be, you've got to have concern. Stuff has got to impact you. Stuff has got to affect you. He says, when I asked about how the Jews were going who had returned from captivity, about how things were going, they said to me, things are not going well. And and Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, I wept for days. You see, that was the, the first thing about this platform being rebuilt. Nehemiah heard that something wasn't right. And he got impacted and he got concerned and he got concerned enough to do something about it. If we want to have a platform that actually makes a difference in this city, we've actually got to be concerned about things that are not right. We're going to be concerned about people who've got no purpose in their life. We're going to be concerned uh, about, uh, about people who are, who, are, who are victims, people who, who can't change things. We've got to have concern for our community um, And it begins with concern. You will never rebuild the walls of your life until you have first become greatly concerned about the ruins even of your own life. And often we can look out, but it's often hard to look in, isn't it? And say, I'm actually concerned that my life's not going as well as it needs to. It's not right. Well, have some concern about the fact that it's not in the right place. We want to we build together a, a platform where a kingdom message of Jesus can be heard, where we can transform communities. Why, why do we want to do that? Because we're concerned. Ultimately, we're concerned that, that people are actually going to miss their calling, their purpose, and people are going to miss their eternal destiny. We don't want a single person to pass through this life without coming into relationship with Jesus so that they spend an eternity without him? That's an eternity in hell. It's not a real cool thing to talk about in this day and age, but that's the reality. If we don't find connection and relationship with God, we actually miss out on being with him for eternity. And that's a 
terrifying prospect. We've got to be concerned about young people that can't see a future. We've got to be concerned about people destroying lives with drugs and alcohol. We've got to be concerned about, uh, about families that, that break down. We've got to be concerned uh, about people's eternal destiny. To rebuild your life, let's be concerned. To rebuild our city and our state, we've got to be concerned. The second thing that Nehemiah did, and, and this platform was a platform that was built on prayer. And, and he starts with, prayer and confession. He says, I confess that I have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family have sinned. You might be going okay as a Christian. You know, you mightn't be doing anything that bad. <laughs> and, and sometimes we can think we're pretty good. We can think we live a pretty good life. And we can become a little bit judgmental about that. Nehemiah didn't start from that position. He said, Lord, I confess my stuff to you. I'm actually standing on behalf of my family who haven't got this stuff right. And he confessed on behalf of others. How many times do we actually stand before God and confess to him on behalf of our city? On behalf of our family, on behalf of other people. And we're not passing judgment on them. We're just saying, hey, let's stand together and let's confess this stuff. All right, the third thing is it's got to be, it's got to be a platform that's built on commitment. The band want to join me, please. I'll be finished in a minute. If you look at verse 11, he says, and he asks, he asks God to begin moving in the king's heart. And that's what one of our, when we first started this series on Nehemiah, he said he got concerned. It's one thing to get concerned. It's one thing to carry a burden. But, but it's another thing to actually have the courage to, to act on that. And he, and he started to pray and he said, Lord, would you just move in the king's heart? And, and, then, and then he had courage. Verse 4, in verse 9, chapter 2, he says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of his army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant... The Ammonite heard of this. It displeased them greatly that someone would come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And as you go through that journey of Nehemiah, you find that these guys are just continually there. They're his nemesis the whole time. They're working against him. But as soon as he met them, he actually showed courage. You know, whenever you decide that you're going to stand and stand up, you will need courage. You'll actually need to say, you know, stuff's going to come against me, but I'm actually going to stand on something strong enough that support me. And whenever you say, look, I'm going to stand up, there will always be opposition that comes. And the enemy wants to make things difficult. There will always be opposition. Nehemiah, as we wind this series up on Nehemiah, he was concerned. He confessed. He said to God, yep, we've mucked this up. We've made mistakes. I personally have made mistakes. You see, when you confess, you actually give God room to do something. When someone thinks they're not wrong, but actually, you know, things are not working, you can't do much with them, can you? Parents, if you've been with a, you know, a child and they... they and there's something that goes on. It, it's, you, you can't actually work with them until they come to a point where they say, hey, this isn't working. And confession actually gives God room to work in your life. He was committed. He was courageous. He developed a plan and he stuck to it. I think to build an effective platform in the future... Come on, let's get, let's get concerned about our city. Let's get concerned about the things around us. Let's start to confess on behalf of, of others. Let's confess the stuff on ourselves. And let's then commit to a journey of action. Stuff that Chris was talking about up here. There's, a, there's been a, an awful lot of work going in to get to where we are. Let's, let's together as in unity commit to that course of action. Let's do it together and we'll find ourselves standing on something 
that that will not be short term. It will be something that God is going to use in this city and beyond into the future. But it is going to require concern. It is going to require confession. It is going to require commitment. And it is going to require courage. It's going to require some of us to be a little uncomfortable at times. It's going to require some people to drive a little bit further. It's going to require us to to be meeting in a place that's not our church for a little while. And, and, And that's going to be awkward. We're going to be setting stuff up. We're going to be doing all these things. But hey, it's going to be an exciting journey. It's going to be really cool. And it's actually going to launch us into a new season beyond what we've ever imagined. Who is ready for a new season? Who is ready to stand on a platform that is going to make a significant difference, not only in your life, but in the lives of this city and this state and beyond. You know what? I think we are positioned in an incredible way and an incredible opportunity. But my concern is that we make sure what we stand on is going to support the anointing and the vision and the direction of what God has put on us. Right now, I want to bring it back to the individual. If you want to live your life and want to feel like you're standing on something that is going to support you and hold you up no matter what comes your way. Something that will sustain you through seasons of disappointment, seasons of loss, seasons of discouragement, seasons of celebration, seasons of excitement. Sustain you through the season of God blessing you with a with a new child or a new baby where you're euphoric about that. And then as Joe will tell you, sustain you through a season of no sleep. Something that will sustain you through the joy of, of, of having a two-year-old in, in your life and sustain you through two years of tantrums. Something that will sustain you through looking at your amazing teenagers but also sustain you through not understanding them. Something that will sustain you when you go in to the next season of your life. Something that will sustain you through stepping into a new job. Something that will sustain you into a career change. Something that will sustain you when you have to say goodbye to a, to a parent or a, or a great friend or, or, or those things that actually come our way. Something that will sustain you in, in thinking, you know what, I can, I can actually live my life without fear of what happens when I leave this life. Something that can sustain you and, and you don't live through the fear of thinking, what am I going to lose? What's going to be taken away? Because my Bible tells me that God who starts a good work in you will see it through to completion. What's the Australian vernacular of that? He's not going to leave you hanging. He will be there. And if you've never come to a point where you've just opened your heart to Jesus, and I want to lead people right now if you need to respond. And it's, it's just, it is. It's a prayer of, con- of confession. And just saying, Jesus, I'm actually sorry I've lived my life without you. But right now I'm making a commitment to you and I thank you that you were prepared to die for me, to pay the price for my, my mistakes, my sin, my stuff. From this day forward, I'm making a choice to follow you. Very simple prayer, but the most powerful prayer that anybody can ever pray. Because if you pray that and you mean it, something supernatural happens. Your spirit, the real you inside, connects with the spirit of God and a miracle happens right there. We just bow our heads, close our eyes. If you'd like to be part of that prayer this morning, if you'd like, if you'd like to respond to that, just 
do something courageous right now. Just give me a wave. Just put your hand up right where you are and say, oh, I want to be included in that prayer, Dave. I, I, I need, whether, whether you've been to church before, whether you've been here a hundred times or whether it's your first time, it, it doesn't matter. But if that's, if that's you, Jesus understands where you're at. He loves you where you are and he wants to connect with you, whatever's been going on and whatever's happening in your life. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. So that's me, Dave. I, I want to be included in that prayer. Praise God. Is there anybody else that, that needs to do that this morning? Just give me a, a quick wave and, and we'll pray together. Because, you know, I, I, my heart for you is that you can live your life on a, on a platform that sustains what is there for you in the future. Just a, another few moments and then, then we'll pray together. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess my shortcomings, my sin to you right now. I open my heart to you. I ask you to meet me where I'm at. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand now? If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love to pray with you. You know, in this church, we're, we're about to launch into, into a series very soon and we haven't thought of the creative name for it yet but basically it's going to be the love series and when when Jesus was basically talking about what how how his people would be identified how they would be different to everybody else like you guys will walk out of here and you'll be dressed much the same as everybody else and you won't look that much different, which I think is cool. You know, when I, I went to church as a kid, we wore suits on Sunday when nobody else did. But you, got, you guys are cool. You're good. You're, you're doing what we're called to do. What's the difference between you and everybody else? Well, Jesus said the way that they love one another. Yeah, we love our community, but, but there is going to be something that is attractive about the real, genuine way that we love one another. And, and often that means, that means asking that question. That means going that step further. That means understanding what's really happening in somebody's world. That means getting concerned about stuff. And, and I think God's going to do a, a real work in us in the season to come in that. But, yeah, if you want prayer about anything at all, we've got time. We'll pray for you close the service right now. Service tonight here at, at 5.30, which is really cool. And Grow Track at 4. So that's going to be absolutely fantastic. Connect groups during the week. Keep praying. Keep praying for the journey in the building. Pray that the settlement of this building there'll be no hiccups. We're not expecting any. But pray. Pray that there'll be no hiccups with the settlement of our new building. Pray for stuff that's in council. But more than any of that, let's pray for unity and pray that we go on a journey together and God does something exceptional in us and through us as we do that together. Lead us out, Josh. Thank you.